Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 18. I'm Bethany, your host, and today I'm joined by YouTubers Jocelyn from Yogi with a Book and Kara from Wild Book Garden to discuss mythology and retellings. If you want to support the podcast and get early access to episodes and exciting bonus content from all of our guests, check out our Patreon linked in the show notes. And a big thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to our world-expanding patron, Trina. Your support makes this possible. Before our conversation today, it's time for On My Radar, where I'll share recent or upcoming book releases in science fiction, fantasy, and romance that I'm excited about, and then our guests will have the opportunity to share one as well. The books for today's episode will be released between June 9th and June 22nd, 2021, with the exception of guest recommendations, which may include any upcoming release. Okay, so first up, June 15th, we've got three titles coming out, and uh, I've read one of them, and I've started one of them, but I want to read all of them. So um, <laughs> the first one is The Tangle Root Palace by Marjorie Liu. She is known for writing Monstrous, which is a great graphic novel series. This is a collection of fantasy short stories that are dark and subversive, often feminist. I loved them. I think it's a great collection, and the cover is also really gorgeous. Then Blood Like Magic by Lizelle Sambury is a YA debut that blends sci-fi and fantasy. It follows a black teen witch who must complete a task set by her ancestors in order to become a full witch with her powers. Her task? To kill her first love. Looks dark. So far, it's really interesting. Very excited to see where it goes. And then lastly for that day, we've got The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels by India Holton, which is quite the title. This one is a historical romance about a prim and proper lady thief who must save her aunt from a crazed pirate and his dangerously charming henchmen. That doesn't sound fun. I mean, it sounds really fun. Uh, <laughs> and then June 22nd, we've got two books coming out. First up is Star Eater by Kirsten Hall. This one blends sci-fi, fantasy, and horror in a dark tale of powerful women and what that power requires. I hear this has like magical cannibalism in it, which I'm like mm -hmm. curious to see what it's going to do. So that should be interesting. And then lastly, we've got Witch Shadow by Susan Denner. This is the latest book in the epic YA fantasy series, The Witchlands, which is one of my personal favorites. It is a multi POV story that is intricately woven into a magical world on the brink of war. And this, you know, we're like five books deep at this point. So that's about all, all I'm going to tell you about that book. So um, those are all coming out really soon. With that said, please join me in welcoming Jocelyn and Karen at the show. Thank you guys for joining me. Yeah, I'm so excited yeah, to be thank back you for and, to, and to talk about mythology. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you guys can briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners and share your pick for an exciting upcoming book release. <laughs> okay, sure. Our uh, returning guest, Jocelyn's like the, the one who's the done, veteran. done this before, the veteran, yes. <laughs> Expert. <laughs> All right, so hi, my name is Jocelyn. My YouTube channel is called Yogi with a Book. I am a Cuban-American book reader and reviewer, and I really love Latinx books. I love everything, mythology, folklore, fairy tales, so I'm like super excited to get into this topic today. And my pick, uh, I just want to go on the record with saying that picking just one book was damn hard, but <laughs> <laughs> I am going with Build Your House Around My Body by Violet Coopersmith. Hmm. This comes out 
on July 6th, so a little bit after some of the books that were talked about today. But the intro, like, sentence, just like the real quick sell of it on Goodreads, says, part puzzle, part revenge tale, part ghost story, this kaleidoscopic novel set in Vietnam spins half a century of history and folklore into the story of a missing woman. So I want it to be a little bit on theme. I've heard it's (laughs) a little horror-y as well. And just like the title is great. So I'm very excited for it. Yeah, that's cool. I haven't heard anything about that one. I'll have to check it out. Okay. Hi, everyone. So my name is Kara. My channel is Wild Book Garden. Um, I read really all across the board. Um, Most read genres are probably fantasy and historical fiction, but I read a little bit of pretty much everything. Um, I also read all across age ranges. I'm very passionate about that. Um, And my pick actually is also coming out on June 22nd, like some of Bethany's. Um, And it is The Lady or the Lion by Amna Qureshi. Mm. I'm really excited for this one. We follow a princess and an ambassador. Um, The ambassador shows up at her kingdom and admits to her face that he is a spy. (laughs) So they don't get off on the right foot, but they end up having to work together to figure out who is sabotaging the attempts at peace. Um, And then people start getting sick with a mysterious illness. So the tension really ramps up. Um, This sounds like a really excellent political fantasy. And I also tried to pick one a little on topic um, because this is apparently... I think loosely inspired by a short story called The Lady or the Tiger, um, which I have heard of, but I have not read. And that is by Frank R. Stockton, I think. So really excited about this one. Awesome. So those both sound really interesting. And Jocelyn, I definitely knew you would be a good person to ask for an episode on mythology. And um, she had actually suggested Karen. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. (laughs) Well, I feel like whenever I hear of a mythology book, if anyone has also heard of it, like on my Goodreads feed, it's mm-hmm. Kara. Like, yeah. <laughs> almost <laughs> always. I feel like I feel like we're just consistently like cannibalizing each other's TBR shelves. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I should have mentioned that in my intro. I am also very big on mythology and retellings, which is why I'm very excited about this episode. Yeah. Well, and what's cool about it is this is actually an episode topic inspired by our world expanding patron we have a whole thing where like after three months at that level you get to suggest a topic and i thought yes that's a great idea let's do an episode about mythology um so i feel like there's a lot we could talk about with this i you know and we can talk about retellings more broadly but i do probably want to spend a good amount of time talking specifically about retellings of mythology and I, I do think it's interesting because I feel like we've been seeing so much of this in mm-hmm. the last few years. I'd be interested to hear kind of what both of you have seen happening in publishing with that. Yeah, um, I feel like one of the one of the things that immediately comes to mind is the Rick Riordan Presents imprint, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I feel like is really exciting. And I feel like that's been, from what I've heard, a lot of people's entry point into reading Um, books based on mythology that are not from western cultures Um, and I feel like oh sorry go ahead just for anybody who isn't aware of what the Rick Riordan Presents imprint is do you want to explain yeah um so I'm not like a publishing (laughs) no (laughs) Um, 
But so basically Rick Riordan, he is very well known for his Percy Jackson books, which are based around Greek mythology. He's also done some spinoffs that are Roman mythology and Norse mythology. And one of the things that he did, he's like a very successful author, is he started his own uh, publishing imprint. I think it's under Disney Hyperion. Yeah, um, yeah, and so he's kind of made it one of his projects to seek out stories by authors from marginalized backgrounds in particular, um, authors whose mythology does not often make it into stories and retellings. Um, and he's like, it's like under his name. I don't know exactly how involved he is. I know that he helps select them because he always has a note explaining why he's excited about the book at the at the front of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly when that imprint started, but it's been a few years now and still going strong and I think that's really exciting I think it's kind of it's a good model too for like how he can use his success to I think boost other authors yeah Um, and I think also something that's kind of cool about it is I feel like even books that aren't in that imprint I think people are a little bit more aware now that there are books out there that are about mythology that is not Greek, you know? Right. Um, so I think that's been kind of a cool side effect too, is even books not under that umbrella. I think people have a little more awareness now, which is exciting. And of course, I'm always excited about anything that gets people to pick up middle grade books. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that imprint's probably four years old because I want to say the first Aru Shah book by Roshni Chakshi was the first of the Rick Riordan's imprint. And that's been one mm-hmm. a year. The fourth one, I think, just came out. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of really interesting books coming out through that. And I don't read a lot of middle grade, but I've read several <laughs> of, the, of those yeah. those books. Um, I really liked Tristan Strong. Mm, um, I loved that one. So yeah, good. that was such a good one. And then I, I also ended up reading Jocelyn because of the, the episode you were on with Audrey. Um, Dragonfall? Yeah, I ended up reading Dragonfall and it was great. The yes. world building was just... So good for sci fi mm-hmm. middle grade. I, I was very impressed. Yeah, and a second one's just been announced as well. Oh, that's I didn't exciting. realize. I thought it was a standalone, uh, but the, there's going to be a second one coming out from Yoon Holly. Oh, cool. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think there's some interesting things happening in middle grade. Um, Jocelyn, are there other things that you're noticing when it comes to mythology? I mean, I like Kara. I'm I'm really excited by like the Rick Riordan presents imprint and sort of the ripple effects it's had. I think it's really interesting that with all of these mythologies, like just seemingly everyone's like, oh, I can play with these. Um, I think it's interesting that there is like far fewer Greek metal Greek myth retellings than I thought there would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like they're still pretty prevalent, right? There's Madeline Miller constantly. People are just talking about <laughs> how much they love her things. Um, As they should. I mean, they are very good. <laughs> sure, sure. But in but in general, I feel yeah. like not as many people are just doing Greek. I feel like there's a lot of Slavic. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. A lot of yeah. Slavic retellings, which is That's just very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, and I, I think – when people think of mythology, they do frequently think of Greek mythology. And I guess the thing that I am liking, if for, for people who are doing Greek mythology retellings, where when I think it's done well, is I think it's frequently centering the women of the stories and yes. sort of subversively retelling things. So I don't know if either of you have read it yet, but Ariadne by Jennifer Saint just came out. 
and that's what it's doing and it's fantastic um I read it very early and kind of (laughs) raved about it um but I think that's a really good version of how you can you know take something that's been around so long and has been part of western culture for for so long and then do something very fresh with it yeah I'm excited for that one your review was one of the things that made me Mm -hmm. like really excited about it because I <laughs> feel like some of the other feminist Greek mythology retellings have disappointed me a little. Same. Um, so I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh good, this one, this one gets Bethany's stamp of approval. So yeah, yeah. Like I was, yeah, I was not impressed with like Silence of the Girls. I was like, oh, I like what you're trying to do. But... <laughs> yeah. but I think Ariadne actually does like accomplishes what Silence of the Girls said it was trying to do. So. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Yeah. That to me is the the key. Like personally, if I'm thinking about like what makes a good retelling of mythology, it's something that is taking this classic cultural story and putting a fresh spin on it, doing something that makes it relevant to modern readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that really interesting. Yeah, same. And I like um, talking about like middle grade, especially like with all of these books that are coming out, I I really like when mythology gets like zany and when people really <laughs> lean into that. Because like if you read any sort of creation story, like they are ridiculous, right? Like <laughs> mm-hmm. so nonsensical. Take the Greeks, for example, like the amount of just like incest, the amount of just like uh, stories that like someone is born this way, but then maybe they're born this way, like inconsistencies. I appreciate Mm -hmm. when authors are just like, yep, we're just going to throw all of that in here and it's just going to be a wild ride the whole time. I I think that's so much fun. Yeah. Um, I also like that, at least in some of the ones I've read, um, it gives a really interesting perspective on what storytelling can accomplish and that's something that I find I really enjoy is that kind of like meta (laughs) element almost um like Mm -hmm. I don't know if either of you have read anything by Grace Lynn but Mm -hmm. she writes retellings that are partly based on um I believe it's Chinese folklore but she doesn't do straight retellings she kind of like Mm -hmm. takes key elements from stories that she knew growing up and kind of weaves them into her own story and they just Mm -hmm. always end up saying such interesting and beautiful things about like the importance of telling stories which you know obviously as readers like (laughs) we enjoy that so that's another thing that I think can be really exciting about those that's really cool is there a place you would recommend people start if they wanted to try out something from her yeah so I I think probably it's one that you could read in publication order because I think there's like some interconnections between her books. Mm. I, however, did not know this. (laughs) So the first one I read is called Starry River of the Sky, which is also my favorite. Mm. Um, So I think that even though you might not pick up on all of the little things, I think if you're looking to get into her books, that one I definitely recommend. Um, I don't actually remember which of her other two is the one she published first. But um, yeah, Starry River of the Sky is definitely my favorite. And it's also got a main character trope that I just love which is like 
the person who's like, I'm pretending not to care about anybody. I'm going to leave this town as soon as I can. And then it's like, well, I can't leave before I do this, but it's not because I like you guys. (laughs) It's like this little boy who's like that. And I just really enjoy it. So aside from Greek mythology, other places that you're seeing interesting things, like I, I feel like I can't not talk about Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sylvia Moreno Garcia. My favorite book of hers is Gods of Jade and Shadow, which uh, draws on Maya mythology. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a death in the maiden trope, which I will never get enough of. It's why Hades and Persephone is so amazing. Um, and just every time there's death in the maiden, I'm. Oh, I just eat it up. And it's like, a, it's a journey story. And it's very much in line with all of the sort of like, we're going to go on a quest and we're going to help save magic. Yeah. I, I yeah. love it. It's so cool too, because it blends like historical fiction because it's set in 1920s Mexico City, mm-hmm. but then blending in Mayan mythology. It's such a great, a great book. Yeah. I love what she does. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I could just do, you know what? One day I should do a whole episode on Sylvia Moreno Garcia because I just find, (laughs) (laughs) I just find the project of her career so interesting and I love her books. Okay. Maybe we we can discuss it. I'm like, even Mexican Gothic would fit into this discussion because I feel like it has some really fantastic things to say about like classics like the yellow wallpaper and Jane Eyre and kind of Rebecca and it like but it does its own thing so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes also certain dark things takes from Aztec stories yeah yeah she does it all Aztec (laughs) vampires with Mm -hmm. (laughs) noir crime thriller I mean yeah she's yeah we're, we're gonna I'm gonna have to do a whole episode about her because I feel like she's very underappreciated well I'm very pleased that she's finally getting some of the attention she deserves with mm-hmm. Mexican gothic blowing up the way it did um there's one I want to mention that like I don't know if this would fit into our mythology or retellings category yeah I feel like it's a little bit of both but I am a little bit obsessed with it because <laughs> I read it kind <laughs> of recently um and that is Antigona Gonzalez by Sarah Uribe um I think the translator is his last name is Plecker. I don't remember his first name. Um, but I actually, I had this recommended um, as part of Latinx Heritage Month. And mm. it's a take on the tragedy Antigone by Sophocles. Oh. And it is so smart. And like, I don't even know how to classify it because it's like not quite a play, but it's like, it's based on one and it's kind of a play, but it's not. Um, and it's really short too. And I just think that it's an example of something that I've been noticing a little more, which is like retellings of classics that kind of intensify the themes or ideas of those classics Mm. or they kind of transform them. And Mm -hmm. I just find that fascinating. Um, And like specifically with Antigone, like the basic premise of the original play is that um, Antigone, the main character, her brothers were both killed in battle, but because of the fact that one of them was on one side and the other was on the other, one of them gets an honorable burial and the other one does not. And Mm. she decides that she has to bury her other brother, even though the king has explicitly forbidden it. So it's a lot about like laws that are higher than, um, than like your, your king or your ruler um, when 
the moral thing to do is not necessarily the legal thing to do. And it's a really interesting play in itself. And then what Antigona Gonzalez does is it sets that in the like missing and murdered indigenous, um, I think it's specifically indigenous in uh, Mexico, like that kind of crisis. And so Mm -hmm. it's so interesting because it takes this idea of honorable burial and then the main character Antigona, like she can't even find a body to bury. And it talks about like the, I don't know. I just think it does so many interesting thematic things. And it's something like, I'm not a teacher. I have never like considered being a teacher, but I'm like, man, I would love to teach a class where like you read Antigone and then you read this, this piece and like compare them because I think the authors are like staying very true to like the core of the original while also Mm. putting it in its own thing. Um, And I've just been like thinking a lot about this trend I don't know if it's a trend. I've seen it a few times <laughs> um, of like taking classics and putting a spin on them where you can still see the bones of the original, but it's like, it's, it's in a different setting and it has a different, I think, impact, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I do think, um, it, you know, and again, this isn't necessarily mythology, but something I read this month that is very much doing that is uh, The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, mm-hmm. which is a retelling of The Great Gatsby from the perspective of Jordan Baker as a Vietnamese woman in the 20s, mm-hmm. plus magic, <laughs> like <laughs> light, light magic. But um, it's really interesting because it's uh, definitely it's a it's a different take on the same story and the other thing that it does is it makes like pretty much all the main characters queer which is is pretty fascinating and like builds this tension between Gatsby and Nick where there's like a romantic or sexual tension there as well which like reading the text I'm like I can see that like you could read it as Nick being kind of in love with Gatsby but it's interesting that it more explicitly kind of unpacks that one author I really love who um, does this is Rebecca Roanhorse. Hmm. And I know she's she's been in the Rick Riordan Presents line. She's got an, more of kind of an urban fantasy series that is pulling on like Native American mythology. But the my favorite from her is Black Sun, which um, is really interesting, multi-POV adult fantasy novel that is like using south like i think it's like generally like south american mythology Mm -hmm. um yeah i think it's um pre-columbian is the idea right yeah pre-columbian mythology is like kind of the basis for the world and magic system and it's so good i love it so much I'm excited for that one. I have not yet read it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Uh, I told you about the eye stuff in the beginning, right, Kara? Yes, you did warn me. I appreciate <laughs> oh, that. Yeah, it is. Um, it is it it's is, dark. Uh, it's dark. It's one of the most intense opening scenes I think I've read in a book. I've heard that from people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good. Yeah, a thing that I've seen a few times recently that I am really loving is um, East meets West mixes, Mm. Um, specifically in the last month, especially because in the U.S. it's um, American or Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage Mm -hmm. in May. Uh, Obviously, I try and read 
Asian authors all year round, but I have gotten to a few more recently and I saw two that had very different ways of employing uh, this sort of idea, but um, the first was Burning Roses by S.L. Huang. So it blends Red Riding Hood from like European, I think it's uh, the Grimm brothers who first write Red Riding Hood perhaps, Mm -hmm. Uh, but then also Huyi, which is apparently from like Chinese folklore um, and puts them both sort of in the same story as like older retired like huntresses, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think was a really fascinating way to explore that. And also like in this little novella and it talks a lot about like family. Mm-hmm. And then I also recently read The Magic Fish, which is a graphic novel written and illustrated by Trung Li Wen. Um, and it's about this family who had immigrated from Vietnam to the U.S. And one of the ways that the son and the mother sort of like bond and like keep in t- contact with each other like at night and everything and practice English is by reading these like fairy tales and with the like color and illustration we see different influences so like when the son is reading because he's like a first generation american it's very like european looking and then like when the mother reads the stories she's drawing from like what she remembers of like vietnam and like things that would look differently to her like when she's imagining the dresses and everything i just thought that was a really really interesting way to like visually have that portrayed as well and it was also just a beautiful story yeah highly recommend that's cool that does sound like a really really good um actually jocelyn you reminded me i should be pushing one of my favorite underrated books that i read last year uh, which is also by an aapi author and that is the magnolia sword by sherry thomas hmm. um so it's an own voices retelling of mulan which i I feel like there are shamefully few Mulan retellings that are actually by Chinese authors. Um, but I think this one is like, it's hard to market, which I think is one of the reasons it's kind of going under the radar because mm-hmm. it's very character focused, which I love. Um, but it's also very hard to pin down in terms of genre because it's technically a fantasy, but it reads more like a historical fiction because um, Sherry Thomas is drawing on, I think it's the wuxia genre, which is, basically historical fiction but with supernaturally talented swordsmen um that's like the only kind of fantasy element and i feel like one of the reasons this book sticks out to me so much is there's a couple things about it that would mean i shouldn't like it as much as i did because there's a lot of military stuff which is not usually my jam and (laughs) basically the entire book is like a journey book which i'm very picky about (laughs) um but I thought this one was so good. So it's like, this is one of those where I'm like, if the premise sounds even a tiny bit interesting, pick it up (laughs) because it's not, I feel like it's not super well known. Um, I do remember the first chapter being like, not bad, but just very different from the rest of the story. And it kind of made me think, it made me think I wasn't going to like certain elements as much as I did, Um, but it's got like great character development. I also always appreciate when it's a historical story that like acknowledges that queer people were already around um and it also i think it's one of the ones that handles the girl dressing up as boy trope in a way that i find less frustrating Hmm. um and i just like really enjoyed mulan as the main character and her love interest is great it's like a very like subtle subplot it doesn't take over the story or anything but it's also one of those like 
where he's just like so impressed at his badass girlfriend, <laughs> which I love. He's just like, like go kick their ass, babe. Like I'll wait here. <laughs> um, but it's mutual too. Like they're both very competent people, which I enjoy. Um, but yeah, like I just, I just really enjoyed that one. And it is like very, very character focused. I could see some people feeling like it's too slow, but I was just like so into these characters that I didn't mind. Um, and I'm also very impressed that even though by definition, Mulan is kind of the only female character for a lot of the book, it doesn't feel like it does the, like, not like other girls thing, or like you have to be, like, you have to be able to fight with a sword to be a strong woman. So mm, yeah, that's my, that's my little like plug for that one. <laughs> that's cool. One series that I feel like has gotten fairly popular that is based on a lot of, um, like Middle Eastern and South Asian mythology that's great is the Divabad trilogy by S.A. Chakraborty. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot with like Jin and Ifrit and I love it. It's epic, political, char- fairly character-driven fantasy. And I, I mean, it, not everybody agrees with me, but <laughs> I thought that the last book in the trilogy is one of the best endings I've I read agree. in a while. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's hard to really land an ending, and I felt like this was just a perfect example of how to end a trilogy well. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, consequences were had for some characters, and not everyone appreciated <laughs> <Yes>. that. <but laughs> I did. <laughs> I did too. Well, they were appro- they were appropriate. I think that's the thing. I is agree. like I am I'm not bothered by. Like I would, I would rather have things make sense for the characters or be appropriate to the story than just like be like have things be happy, you know. Agreed. Also, that's a a theory I have about people who like Sylvia Moreno Garcia books because she does that with every single one oh, of her endings. That's mm-hmm. true. They are that's never that's like point. fully blown happy endings. Like they are what the story requires, yeah. <laughs> and it is unwavering. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you know what actually interesting thing maybe this is why it was a little different to me have you read her novella yet that's coming out no i pre-ordered it i should be okay too (laughs) okay i really liked it but i think it might be the happiest ending we've ever gotten from her and i was like wait what (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah i it was a little weird because it's sylvia reyna garcia and i was like i didn't expect this from anyway but... <laughs> like wait a second <laughs> yeah it was it was very interesting <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah no that's that's interesting that's a good point yeah like just like looking through other things that i've read um silver in the wood is the first book in a duology that i think is mm. really interesting they're novellas by emily tesh that are fantasy about like like basically pulling on some of the the mythology of um the uk with like the green man in the wood and like some other like mythological things that come into it and i i just they're kind of like these quiet character driven <laughs> stories that I like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so i think those are good and then there was okay I I feel like sometimes I'm sometimes I'll end up championing indie published or self-published books because like like the the there's a lot of variation in the in quality of Mm -hmm. self-published books but occasionally I'll get something for a review that I'm just like wow this is really cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so one example of this from last year 
is there's this uh, collection of short stories in the horror genre that are inspired by the mythology of Indonesia. Ooh. And they're really good. They're really creepy and really interesting and um, really cool. They're called, it's called Who's There by Demas Rio. Um, and I just thought they were, they were very interesting and very good. And so they're like these, these creepy horror stories that are inspired by this mythology that I wasn't really familiar with. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, there's been a few collections I've really loved. Uh, I think there's like the classic, the bloody chamber and other stories by Angela oh, that's Carter. A good, yeah, yeah. Um, but also earlier this year, I I really enjoyed the mythic dream, and I know Kara didn't as much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that was edited uh, by Napa Wolf and Dominic Parisian, and it had a bunch of different authors who retold as loosely or as closely as they wanted to. Some of the stories were a little bit more horror, some were like sci-fi. It was it sort of ran the gambit, but I thought it was really really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That one did have a, a couple hits for me and like it helped me find a couple new authors, which is always exciting. Yeah. I More broadly, like what do you want to see? I think I can answer this for myself a little bit earlier, but what do you want to see from a retelling of mythology or of a classic? Hmm. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh. Hmm. If we're talking like a very specific Greek goddess I want retellings of. I want, I mean, I'm going to answer this question like eight different ways. So in one way, <laughs> hyper-specific, if someone can give me a Hecate story, oh. I'd be all over it. I love her. So interested in a Hecate story. I think she is ripe. <laughs> We got Ariadne. Let's let's keep going. Uh, yeah. Getting more people. Yeah. Um, I think I'm trying to think now. It's like, how do I even quantify what makes me like excited about a particular retelling? Um, I think it's some of the same things that draw me towards like any other fantasy story. So you know, character tropes I like, or maybe a setting I think is interesting, but then. I like to see, I guess I like to see what the author is going to do with that story. So mm. not necessarily that it has to be, I don't know, a, a retelling that no one has ever done before, although that can be really exciting. I guess I kind of want to see them like describe in the synopsis, like what, why they decided to make this a retelling instead of something else, you know? Mm. Um, I feel like that's kind of a vague answer. But... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think I tend to get most excited about it when it's something that is like subverting or reframing mm-hmm. the original, um, just because I find that really interesting, especially if it's an original that I'm familiar with. Like, I think if it's just like a straight up retelling, I'm usually less excited about it. Agreed. Uh, not so much interested in a straight up retelling. If it's subverting, great. Mm-hmm. I also just like stories that like going back to one of the reasons that like middle grade myth based books are so great is that they feel mm, I don't know if fan servicey is the word, but it's a little <laughs> bit just like a celebration of just like we are going to have hijinks people and it's going yeah. to be <laughs> so fun. Like I, I really like when they get super campy and I would like to see that more in YA. Mm. 
Um, because the only the only one that really like sprung to mind when I was thinking about this list too is one that I absolutely love, mm. but uh, the Epic Crush of Jeannie Lowe by FCE has mm. the same sort of energy as like middle grade fantasies, uh, but it is for YA and it's I think Jeannie is like in her junior or senior year of high school, but it's it's <laughs> so funny and like so fun and I love when authors are just like having fun with the source yeah. material and just like throwing it in the real world it's incredible yeah yeah I yeah I know what you're saying like I think there are not a lot of books that have that vibe the only thing I can think of that I really liked last year that nobody else was really talking about um which isn't really a retelling exactly uh well at least not of like a classic but it is sort of a retelling of the walking dead <laughs> kind of <laughs> Um, is Girls Save the World in this one oh, yeah. by Ash Parsons because um, it's about a group of friends, girlfriends who are huge fans of this Walking Dead type show who go to a fan convention for it and then while they're there there's a zombie outbreak. <laughs> Naturally. It's great. <laughs> it's so funny especially like if you're into the show and you know kind of the tropes and the beats of it it's hilarious I think mm -hmm. because it like really it just like really goes hard for like we're we're doing like what if a zombie thing happened at a fan convention in the real world <laughs> yeah. so yeah it's funny because as you two were talking about the like subversion subversion of um like retellings or I guess it'd be subverting the original story. I can really enjoy those. I think, though, I, depending on the story, I'm not so set on it being, like, completely different from the original. Like, there are certain stories where it's like, I have read a hundred of these. I will read a hundred more. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, which I guess is just kind of, like, it functions like a favorite trope for me, you know, where mm -hmm. it's like, yes, I know how this is going to go. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Sure. I mean, some of those are really fun. There is um, like Midsummer's Mayhem. Oh, I love that one. Right? <laughs> retelling Shakespeare. I love it when yeah. people do a good job retelling Shakespeare. Yeah. There's a companion book coming out, I think in July. See, I'm like sneaking in another anticipated release, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's retelling Much Ado About Nothing, which is my favorite Shakespeare yes, play. So I, love I am Much Ado About Nothing too. It's so good. It's so good. So I'm very excited for that one too. That's exciting. Yeah, I, okay, so my wish list, like if I had like a wish list of things I would like to see retold, I would love to see a great, like a, like a really funny adaptation of Northanger Abbey, because I Ooh, think yeah. it's, it's so underrated as a Jane Austen. I think it's hilarious because it's, um, it's a send up of gothic romance <laughs> already. Yeah. And I just think it would make for such a great modern like retelling if somebody did it right yes i would love to see that yeah i feel like there's this section that everybody well like scholarly people always kind of uh use it as an example of why this is not her best work where it's like she interrupts the action of the story to just go off on people who look down on novels and i'm like that's one of my favorite parts i love it <laughs> i love that part <laughs> i love the meta but i like meta stuff in in my books um mm -hmm. I yeah that's one it's one of my favorites of hers I just I think it's so under underappreciated it's funny yeah I mean I feel like that is something 
to kind of come back to an earlier question, I feel like that mm-hmm. is something that we are seeing a little bit more of, like people retelling uh, like classic literature, like you already yeah. said, like the Nevo book. Isn't there one that's um, a yellow wallpaper retelling? I think coming so. Out this year? Someone like was telling me about these wicked that. walls. Like, yes. Oh, oh no. Okay, no. But actually, it is a retelling of Jane Eyre. Oh. 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 Yeah. Okay. Which I'm excited about, but with a, I think, like, I think a Caribbean or black heroine. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm, I'm very excited to read that one. Um, and I think it's a more horror take on it. I think just like the walls bit and like the cover, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yellow wallpaper, but Jane Eyre. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was the only reason I haven't, I have a, an advanced copy of it to read like a, on NetGalley. So <laughs> I was just looking at it recently and I was like, oh, it's a Jane. I mean, I think I didn't realize when I requested it that it was a Jane Eyre recently. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah, they're doing, I think they're doing a lot of really interesting things. Well, and then I see books that are taking bits and pieces of mythology mm-hmm. or or mm-hmm. things and, and then turning it into something that's really their own. So like Legendborn, for example, is like drawing on Arthurian mythology for yeah. its magic system, but is doing something totally different with it. Um, and or like Lobizona, which is drawing on like um like Latinx mythology of werewolves and then mm-hmm. turning it into something else. Like I just think I think that's really interesting. In terms of retellings, things, thoughts, things you think are cool, things you want to see more of. In general, I'm just excited to see fewer European set or European um sourced retellings. Mm-hmm. Um because I think, you know, as much as I do love the wacky Greek gods, I'm a little burnt out on them. Uh, and I think it's time for other people <laughs> to share their wacky little like beings. Um, so uh, specifically, there's one book that I think about pretty often that I feel like didn't get a very wide US release, uh, but that took like a really interesting, a completely unknown to me story uh, it's apparently based off a Filipino folk story called The Star Maidens, um, but it's mm. called The Hour of Daydreams by Renee Macaleno Rutledge. Hmm. And I think about it all the time. It was just like my favorite kind of retelling where it's really lyrical and like dreamy and hazy and like what's real, what's not, who cares? I'm just here. You know, like those are <laughs> those are my favorite ones where they can really just bring me into a story and I just yeah. get to listen. It's so funny. I have recently come to realize that I rarely love that sort of storytelling. Mm. I think you are going to love The Chosen and the Beautiful. Like, I really liked what it was doing, but like, it was a little more of that than I prefer. But I think you probably will be really into it because it's got a lot of that quality to it. Oh, I mean, it's a very good book. And like, I, I, you know, I didn't dislike it. I liked it a lot, but um, just, you know. If I had a preference, it would have been sure. to be slightly less that way. <laughs> so I think if you like that, well, I mean, you even, even Nevo's other novella, like The Empress mm-hmm. of Salt and Fortune, is very like, let's sit down by the fire and talk about this story right now, and I'll give it to you in bits and pieces. Yeah. Well, and I think that to me, like, I think in novellas, it can be different to me, like short stories and novellas. I think I read them differently than full length novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I think that's interesting. I love um, the Winter Night trilogy by Catherine Arden. Yes, I just think 
like what she's doing is so interesting with Russian folklore and mythology um and then bringing in like that combined with this historical period of transitioning from folk religion and mythology into Christianity and that comp like the complexity of that I, I don't know it's and her characters it's just so good um one thing I'm really interested in is kind of something we were talking about earlier which is when authors will take a particular story and they use like the elements of that story as like social commentary or they kind of like mm -hmm. they like take that and extend it into like making I guess making a point about something um like circling back you know Mexican gothic it it takes these like gothic heroine tropes and uses it as like a commentary on like eugenics and colonialism and racism yes. and <laughs> it's just so smart and I'm like really excited to see more things like that um like Pride by Evie Zavoy I was oh, very yeah. I was nervous about that one because I had kind of heard from people that like the more you like Pride and Prejudice the less you're gonna like this one um and I I'm like basic I do enjoy Pride and Prejudice I know um, I do too but I love Pride it's just it was different... so good it and it, so good. it was such a smart like interpretation mm -hmm. because like it had the class commentary of Jane Austen's original but it's yeah. like it said it in the modern day because gentrification yeah. is class commentary like it yeah. was just so smart so that's something I'm really excited to see more of is um yeah. not necessarily just like classic novels but just in general taking stories and like using a particular story for like I don't know I guess the the vague description would be social commentary but yeah, I yeah. just really love that mm -hmm. yeah I'm with you I enjoy that a lot too yeah pride I was so annoyed because I read it before it came out and I loved it and I love pride and prejudice also and I saw a lot of that and I think the conclusion I've come to is that I think what you hit on is right is that it is more a retelling of the social commentary of Pride and Prejudice and less of the pure romance. I think a lot of people, mm -hmm. when they think Pride and Prejudice, they think ooey gooey romance. Mm -hmm. And like there is romance, but like that's less what the focus of that retelling is, which I think is interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's true, like just in general with Jane Austen's novels and mm -hmm. I'm, like lots of other writers too is like we remember things like the romance and mm -hmm. kind of overlook like her, that book is biting <laughs> like, it is yeah she does not like she does not sugarcoat things about like how how terrible it would be to be a woman in that era so yep that also just got me thinking about uh one of the bigger YA retellings of last year um mm -hmm by Chloe Gong, uh, These Violent Delights, which mm. is a historical Romeo and Juliet in, I think it's Shanghai. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. romance, I wouldn't actually say is that big of a no. thing. Like, it, it's clearly like it's there, but it's more about these rival gangs and it's more about like what it was like in this time and in this place and what people had to do. Yeah to like survive and I think that's so much in so much more interesting than just going for like the very low hanging like oh we remember Romeo and Juliet like love okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I thought that that was definitely a strength of that book too I do think like a lot of the people who were disappointed with it 
I mean, part of it is, well, anyway, but like, I don't want to like go into too much detail, but I will say like some, I think some people who were disappointed by it, it was that there wasn't a really strong romance. I mean, it was kind of there, but like, I don't know. Sorry, Bethany. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, I think. I think if you're going into it knowing it's a Romeo and Juliet retelling and what you're really hoping for is like a good romance, that's less what you're going to find. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is, I'm sure an oversimplification, but it does frustrate me when it's like one of the, one of the common reasons I hear for why people don't read YA is they're like, Oh, I'm so tired of the romance. And then they get a YA that doesn't have a strong romance. And they're like, what is this? Why does it not have romance? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, personally, I love when books decide to not focus on romantic relationships as much as other relationships. Like another retelling I really loved that was like kind of quiet was Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Bashford. Oh, yes. Which was yeah. a Snow White retelling, but it's mostly about the relationship between like the Snow White character and her stepmom. And it's yeah. actually like these women like supporting each other when everyone's saying that they hate each other. And I loved that. I loved it so much. I mean, it's also a sapphic story, which is great. And I, I think it had a really cute romance, but it wasn't as big of a part as like the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yes, that that was one that I really liked a lot, too. Yeah. Well, in her second book, Girl Serpent Thorn is a retelling of a, um, um, I think, Persian classic. I think I heard it was Persian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. So... Yeah, I like that there are so many people doing interesting things with with retellings. But yeah, I mean, I like a good romance, but yeah. I don't have to have it in a book necessarily. Like, I like books that don't have it. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. And I think also when it's a subplot, and maybe, maybe this is just my personal taste as a reader, but I often get more invested in the romances that don't take over the story because like I don't know you get to see only the good bits you know like um or you know they kind of leave you wanting more it's like I think it adds more to that feeling of like you're looking you're looking forward to their next scene together because the story is not all about them getting together Mm -hmm. yeah I also think for me as a reader especially if you're talking about a more like adventure-based fantasy like if someone is thinking about the person they're crushing on in like the middle of a high-stakes situation like they lose so much credibility with me so (laughs) yeah (laughs) a romance that is more of a b-plot definitely works better especially for the kind of fantasy that I generally want to be picking up yeah I mean I think for me it depends on what the genre is like if I'm reading a fantasy romance then I will go with it. (laughs) um, But if it's a book that I feel like is really trying to be more of a fantasy, that might bother me more. Mm -hmm. Um, One retelling this year that I really enjoyed, although it seems like not everybody liked it as much as I did, but um, Malice by Heather Walter. Mm -hmm. I really loved. It's a retelling of Sleeping Beauty from the perspective of the eventual sort of like evil witch evil sorceress um who's more like dark and brooding and morally gray with the potential to be evil in this um but like she falls for the princess (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. great it's like i loved it so much and like the ending oh my gosh it just yeah 
I'm very excited for book two. It was it was a lot of fun. So I I thought that was a really interesting and cool retelling. But any sort of final things that you really want to talk about, like books you love, things you'd like to see, thoughts about retellings and mythology in general? Something that didn't quite come up organically that I just want to plug before yeah. we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is less on the mythology side, but talking about retelling and fairy tale. Uh, last year, one of my favorite nonfiction books was Disfigured by Amanda mm. LaDuke, who talks about the way that disability is portrayed in fairy tales. Yes. And I think it is such an important read, especially if you are someone who is like interested in mythology and folklore and fairy tales and all of those sorts of ways that those interact and the way that we retell stories um, and the sort of messaging that also we are retelling when you're not thinking about some of the uh, choices that are being made. Um, it, I think it was just phenomenal, really. Mm -hmm. I second that. I just read it recently and I thought it was really good, really thought-provoking. Um, one author I kind of want to plug, I think she is, I don't know if she's indie published or self-published, mm. um, but T. Kingfisher is the pen name that she uses for mm -hmm. her more adult titles. Um, I think I think several of hers would be crossover between young adult and adult. But she just writes some really, really excellent fairy tale retellings. Um, I think I think all of hers have been of fairy tale so far. But one that's really great is The Seventh Bride, um, which is a retelling of Bluebeard. He's the one who has the seven wives, oh. right, <laughs> that he kills. Um, yeah. And that one is excellent. And that one is almost like, I think you guys would both maybe be interested in this aspect, because there are places that almost teeters into horror a little bit. Mm. Um not not a lot because I can still read it <laughs> um, but I did really enjoy like how creepy some of it was and just overall she always writes these really competent female main characters who I just adore um, and there's usually like a really strong like sisterhood bond um, like mm. friendships between women there's a really great um, focus on that in this one in particular because she's going there with these other brides um, and yeah, and her books tend to be very short as well. And I feel like I feel like they could be good kind of intro books if people are not sure where to start with retellings. But I equally think that if you already enjoy retellings, you might like um, some of the takes that she does on them. She's also really great at like dialogue. Like I think she balances like the humor of her books with like the more emotional stuff really well. Um, something I think is really cool is that I think a lot of times when she's writing, like her characters feel like actual people if like a fairy tale mm. suddenly started happening to them, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I just think is a really interesting dynamic to watch. That's cool. That. that is really interesting. Oh, awesome. Cool. Well, I feel like there's so much out there in these areas, <laughs> yes. but I'm sure when I am editing the show notes for this, we will have a long list of places everybody could start. So, um, you know, hopefully something here piques your interest and, um, thank you guys for joining me for, to talk about it. This was fun. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yes, loved it. Again, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the podcast so we can continue to reach more listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at Chapter 3 Podcast, and you can also now find episodes on our YouTube channel as well if you want to listen that way or 
continue to download wherever you get your podcasts. The next episode will be available in two weeks, and this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.